HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, it's all about screens. We're diving into the world of TV, computers, and even VR to figure out how food consumption is shifted by a digital lens. Every course talks about a different topic within the Asian Americanized identity through a very personal lens. And the three courses that are paired with VR, in it you're seeing a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that you're about to eat. Most of us in the world live in urban areas. And so how much is the city already accidentally providing its residents? And how much more could it provide if um, we just made a priority? Tune in to Meet and 3. HRN's weekly food news roundup wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. This is a special recording. We're recording remotely on September 15th. 2020 on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host, and we've got some special guests here. We're talking about Atlanta and Buffalo. So let's go around the room, and everyone's going to introduce themselves. We'll start with Ale. Hi, y'all. This is uh, Ale Sharpton. I am a uh, beer ambassador and just do a lot of cool things, man, for my lifetime. But exploring Atlanta and beyond is one of them. Well, it's it's a a privilege to have you on, and it turns out you know our, our other guest, Todd, really well. That's my man, 40 grand. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Hey, Todd. Hey, how are you? So I'm Todd DiMatteo, and I am uh, one of the owners of Good Word Brewing and Public House, and I am the brewer there, and I also do the uh, social media, so if you see our dumb videos, I apologize. Great. And are are you actually in Atlanta? Uh, So uh, we're in Duluth, Georgia, which is like 30 minutes north of the city, so just outside and in the burbs. But it, it's, it's pretty not bad. And backstory, you you were part of uh, one of the legendary beer bars down there, right? The Brick Store yeah. Pub? That's right, Jimmy. So I started at, at uh, Brick Store Pub uh, in 2005 and uh, stayed there for about 12 years. I was a bartender and then a manager and then eventually their, uh, their general manager. But definitely cut my teeth. I barely knew what craft beer was before I started there. I thought that Guinness and... Uh, and Highland Gaelic were kind of the end of it, and uh, a whole new world opened up once I started working there. 
All right, and then from from uh, working at Good Word and going to a Shelton Festival up in Buffalo, we've met our next guest, Mike. Hey there, uh, Mike Schatzel, one of the uh, involved with Thin Man Brewery in Buffalo, New York, and uh, also a, a third generation publican. So I have uh, a couple of beer bars up here, a couple of restaurants in the Great White North in Western New York. So to give everyone a backstory, so um, the Shelton Brothers are an important distributor and importer of uh, specialty craft beers, and most of us know them. But I, I do love that you, Mike, at your your beer bar, Blue Monk, really embraced them, and um, it's just great that that's how you've met Todd. So why don't you tell us a little about your backstory? Because I've been I've been dying to have you on for years. Um, you, you, you grew up in a family bar business. T- take us back to Mike Shassel's story. All right. Well, uh, my dad is, uh, his father owned pubs, you know, in the pre-prohibition area in, in Lackawanna, New York. And then, uh, my dad after the Navy and whatnot fought in the Korea war. Then he, he opened his first bar in, I think, 1960 in Buffalo. Um, and he was, my dad's pretty wild man. And then he, uh, he got shut down in 1968 at the, the first bar for being a little too wild. And uh, so if you're a little too wild in the sixties, it kind of lets you know what kind of place that it was. <laughs> so uh, in uh, 1973, right after I was born, he bought Cole's restaurant, which was uh, kind of like the, uh, the, the place to be in Buffalo. It was a great pub. It opened in 1934. So I was basically, basically kind of born into that. Um, and then, uh, you know, I started working there in fourth grade and, you know, then high school, I started washing dishes freshman year and then busting tables and work my way to waiting tables, tending par- bar and whatnot. And then, uh, craft beer, well, you know, back then it was just, uh, there was no local breweries then, and it was, you know, it was just, it was a big Labatt town. So it's strange enough. It, as I can tell, is the Buffalo is the biggest Labatt market in the world, which is, you know, uh, being an American town with a Canadian brewery, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of weird. But um, in the late 90s, I moved to San Diego to get my MBA and, you know, started drinking the beers around there. I got really into Sierra Pale, um, Pyramid, Hefeweizen was... Uh, something I enjoyed back then. And then Stone kind of opened right a little before I, I decided to move back to Buffalo. So I, I started getting into that a little. And then uh, I moved back home. There was a couple of uh, Southern Tier was just popping up and then a local brewery called Flying Bison. So those were kind of the first two local breweries I kind of brought into the uh, into the mix. And they didn't, they didn't sell great off the bat. Um, and then people's just, you know, the, the uh, people's taste, you know, they wanted to try something a little different. They weren't, you know, back then Southern, I, you know, IPA was malt forward, but quite bitter. And, you know, some people liked it, some people didn't. But uh, you can tell people were into trying new things. And then one day uh, a salesman came in and got me to order a keg of Harpoon IPA. And I think I grabbed something from, uh, I grabbed some cans of uh, Old Speckled Hen. And 
an amber from uh, Otter Creek. And then I, I put those two taps on and, and uh, left hand sawtooth out. And then we just started flying through the harpoon IPA. It was crazy. And, you know, and from there, it just, you know, we had 10 taps. And then next thing I know, I had 20. And next thing I know, I had 30 and then 36. And, you know, it just kind of really blew up there. And it was, there's maybe one other place, two places, maybe selling good beer in town, but that was it. And all of a sudden, it really became the place to be in Buffalo if you wanted good beer. Bringing Trappist in. And then, you know, some guy uh, told me we were on Beer Advocate, which I'd never heard of at the time. So then I started researching, and then uh, you know, my cousin went to school in Wisconsin. So anytime she was coming home, I'm like, I'll, I'll pay for your gas. Can you stop in Chicago and buy a bunch of Three Floyds for me? And then just kind of became something that was really cool for me. And, uh, and I, little did I know it really changed my life at the time. So this was probably like the 2000s, right? You were this just about 2003, yeah. Yeah. And did you find, so mostly that the craft was identified with being on draft, wasn't it, back then? Back then, yeah, pretty much all draft, and then you had Sierra Pale Ale, and that was it, that the, that I can remember. And then, you know, like uh, American Craft, but I was like the first bar, I think, to bring in um, Samuel Smith stuff. So you know, Taddy Porter was like one of my really first beers I fell in love with. And so that was a must, and then, uh, you know, people were – really shocked to see that kind of stuff. And then I remember bringing delirium tremens and, you know, the bartenders thought I was insane trying to get $8 for a glass of beer. And, <laughs> and then these guys started coming in. I was selling them pictures for 40, $42, I think. And they were coming in with like five, six guys. They're getting going through five, six pictures a night and just really took off. And, I was well ahead of the curve back then. It was, you know, exciting time to really get into beer. And, you know, I remember the mid-90s with uh, Rhino Chasers and a couple of those other things. that it had like a quick little fad, but, you know, it obviously didn't stick. And then, but, you know, it just felt like this was different. And, you know, I started driving to a distributor in Syracuse to get uh, Magic Hat, of all things. Um, and that, like, number nine really turned a lot of people on to, craft beer and, yeah so, uh, so back then, then it was definitely uh it, it was something new but it, it you must be amazed how fast it caught on oh it's crazy like you know then i you know I, I started like uh waitress things you know first first uh waitress to sell uh you know 100 craft pints gets a hundred dollar bar tab you know so then they really started pushing it and then they realized you know selling a six dollar pint instead of three dollar you know labat their check average goes up pretty quick and they're making more money that way too. So it was, it was a pretty cool thing. Yeah. It really, really changed. I remember the same thing about 2001. It was like Stella and, and Corona were the number one in my old bar. So um went pretty fast and let's go to Todd. So Todd, um, you know, this, this place we mentioned before the brick store pub uh, and that's it. That's in the Atlanta area. Is that Atlanta or Decatur? It's in Decatur. Yeah. So Decatur is uh, inside the perimeter. Um, but yeah, not inside the city limits of Atlanta. But yeah, it's a quaint little town, and uh, you know, hiding the world class beer bar for all these years. I mean, they opened in 1998, and that was uh, the same year I graduated uh, high school. 
<laughs> or left high school, I should be more clear. Um, but yeah, I've definitely learned a lot about uh, craft beer, you know, starting there. It's funny because I remember the first time I went in there, uh, the list was so, you know, daunting. Uh, I couldn't tell the draft list from the bottle list. I was, you know, so overwhelmed. And I remember finding like a uh, flying dog, which I was somewhat familiar with. And I had, um, I think three flying dog gonzos that night, just cause I don't want to like, look at the menu. I was so overwhelmed by <laughs> ask somebody for help. And, uh, I remember asking, uh, our waiter, uh, I was like, Hey man, is it uncouth to ask for an application? This place is really great. And, uh, you know, while I was drinking and he was like, nah, of course not. So yeah, I put my application in, uh, that was like a Friday or Saturday night. And then I was interviewing. Uh, the next week. And I remember it was like hard to get a job there at the time, or at least that's what people said because so, so many of the staff would just stay for years and years. Um, and once I started, I definitely found out why, you know, it's, you know, a busy place. Uh, and it's, it's a great place, you know? Um, but it's funny cause I was there for so long and I definitely was passionate about beer, but like when I first started, I gravitated right towards Belgian beers. And, you know, Mike was mentioning William Tremens and, Remember uh, that the Nocturnal and the Golden Drock and you know Saint Bernardus, all those kind of beers. Just I loved them, but I didn't have a pace for drinking beer that that high in alcohol. So that was definitely something I got used to. And after that, I I definitely fell in love, like many people, with uh, you know what was then an American IPA. Uh, but I didn't start brewing for for years after being there. Um, you know, I got focused on like managing the staff and and guests and making sure that, uh, everybody was happy. And I found myself brewing home brewing in 2015. Finally, um, I brewed, well, actually the first time I brewed, uh, was in like 2012, I think with, uh, David Stein over at Twain's when he had just left Rickstore. Um, I didn't quite, you know, fall in love with it. And that brew, it was, it was just like silly idea. I wanted to like start a online, like a YouTube, uh, TV show or whatever. And it was kind of a novel idea at the time, believe it or not. And we shot a bunch of episodes and they just all look kind of shitty. So we decided not to do that. But anyway, it was definitely a great place to, uh, you know, make a lot of great relationships. You know, I met yeah. a lot of people, including, uh, Ale himself. So that's a great uh, introduction. Sure. So Mike, you, you've got a long, uh, beer bar and, and restaurant family and culture in Buffalo. And Todd, you, you started off at, uh, that place in Decatur. So, Ale, um, where do you fit in? I mean, for me, I know you as a beer guy, but you know all these places. So, as soon as I met, he mentions any of these places, you, I know your eyes are lighting up and you're smiling. Absolutely. Um, I want to congratulate Todd on how well he's been doing with his brewery. Uh, Duluth was is not known as a beer scene, but he made it that, and a lot of people kind of following suit with what he's been doing. Uh, him and Ryan and the rest of the team are just really good people. Uh, so definitely want to give him a shout-out for that. But I met Brother Todd at um, uh, Brick Store, which is honestly, um, as a journalist, I can't say my favorite spot, but it is one of my favorite spots uh, in Atlanta to go to. And if someone's coming to visit, like you, Jimmy, um, I will definitely take you to Brick Store and give you the Ale Sharpton tour. They know me. I've written an article about them on their 20th anniversary, uh, which was fun and just a, really a passion from the heart to write that. It's one of my favorite articles I've ever written. Um, and, th- and then, um, you know, the people behind it and staff and how well-trained they were. So, you know, Todd saying he was overwhelmed when he first went in there. Um, he turned into a great manager and 
we've been friends ever since. So shout out to the Brick Store. It's one of my favorite institutions. That's great. So how did you guys all meet? So Todd and Mike. So Todd, you opened up Good Word Brewing. And um, how did you end up meeting Mike? I know the Shelton Brothers Festival is involved. Yeah, so <laughs> to back up just a, a little bit, we uh, you know we were looking for where to put Good Word. We we looked inside the perimeter. I lived right down from uh, from Brick Store, uh, less than a mile, so I didn't want to leave Decatur. I snuck into a building uh, that's across from Kimball House, which is a great restaurant as well. Maybe seven times. This is abandoned building that was like burnt up, and the ceiling had caved in. Uh, and I kept showing like builders, and you know, later becoming my some becoming my partners. Like, hey, this is good word. This is this is how I see it. It's gonna be, you know, this is where the tanks go. All this kind of stuff. And finally got uh, talked out of that. Of course, it was definitely not worth it. But we started looking, you know, outside the perimeter, and that's when we found uh, the spot in Duluth. We had a brewer in the beginning, and you know, he was from Canada, and he was there about three months before we opened, and then. He left abruptly about two months into being there. He told us a story about, you know, his visa running out, yada, yada, yada. But it turned out he was trying to use his head brewer uh, for us as part of his resume to go back to Canada for another job he had. So that's a little bit of backstory. Right? Cause I was straight up a home brewer. And so I took over at batch 37. Uh, <laughs> the first beer I made was called Man in Motion. Now I'm telling you what, that brew day, I was fucking a man in motion. It was terrible. <laughs> Started at like eight in the morning, and I think I finished around one or two in the uh, in the next morning. And uh, I remember getting the beer in the tanks, and I was like, "Well, I guess worst case scenario, in a few weeks I have to dump this beer." It turned out okay uh, for sure. And then, you know, from there I just kept brewing and learning and leaning on people in the industry that I I know. Um, and I just brewed our two hundred and second batch the other day, and I'm brewing with one of my uh, hero stand Hieronymus on Friday. We're doing like a little. Uh, small lager but anyway so with mike actually i'd heard of uh thin man and i've never been to buffalo of course i've been in new york but only new york city we have this regular uh, his name is ron grabowski actually and you know he's he's a good dude he's polarizing i'll tell you that for sure ron but uh anyway he's like from buffalo and he's like i know mike shots so i'll put you in touch with him and i'm like sure sure you will and so he copies me on a facebook message to mike shots and so and mike responded like pretty much right away. And I was kind of surprised. I was like, okay, this guy's kind of connected. And he hit me up with somebody else too. I can't remember who it was, but anyway, so Mike and I talked a little bit and then we we're like, all right, closer to the festival. Uh, let's talk more and plan something out. <laughs> so fast forward to like maybe six or eight weeks before, uh, Shelton Fest. And he's like, all right, we're going to do a takeover at Coles. And I knew Coles was like, you know, one of the first bars that he had and it was a cool place. I, I was definitely like, I want to be at one of the other bars where I knew a lot of like other half and stuff like that was going on. But little did I know that Coles was hosting the after party. So when everybody was done on the second day of the uh, Shelton Fest, everybody was drinking good word beer. We had like, I don't know, 12 beers on. It was fucking amazing. So it's pretty dope. Anyway, we hung out uh, a little bit up there and we've hung out uh, in Pittsburgh and hopefully again, uh, sooner than later because Mike's definitely one of my favorite people. And I'm not just saying that because we're on this podcast together, I promise. <laughs> so, Mike, Mike, tell us, you know, I, I know about Blue Monk, you know, uh, Ryan Bedford was your manager for a while. We know him from working in New York City. He's working at Wild East. So I've, I've, I've met you a few times as a mystique about you. But just this, this bring us through. So Blue Monk to, to Thin Man and 
places in Buffalo that, that you, you'd take other guests like Todd? Yeah, so um, when I started bringing the, the better beer in the uh, coals, I would see, you know, I would see the, the people in there, like older gentlemen, even just, you know, kind of beer, beer kind of sewers or whatnot. And what Coles turns into the weekend is kind of a wild place. Young, we're right by a college. It gets young, it gets a little wild and loud. And I would see these people drinking, you know, Orval or, uh, you know, Racer 5 or, or something like that. And, but I wouldn't see them on the weekends. So then it kind of dawned on me that maybe I can get a place where I can serve this type of crowd, you know, seven days a week. So uh, I started, you know, looking for a place, kind of pursuing that. Um, and then I took a trip with some buddies. I went over to the first time to Europe. We went to Amsterdam and uh, I went to this I kind of just looked up places on uh, rape beer at the time and then. I went to this bar Gollum and I just fell in love with it. And I, I just thought it was the coolest place. And so my goal was to kind of do a Gollum-esque type bar in Buffalo. And uh, and then I end up finding a, a great spot right right down the street from Coles with a that a kid I was friends with growing up, uh, his father had, and it was, it was shit bar, dive bar there called Merlin's that you know, the place was a mess, but the location was unbelievable. So one day I was driving down the street and I saw the, uh, the IRS or the sales tax people went in there and seized, seized the place. So I'd called Kevin and said, see if your dad would be willing to rent um, Merlin's to me. I want to put it. And then Kevin kind of angled his way in there and said, he, well, my dad said, he'll do it. If you, if, if I'm your partner. So, and which I didn't, which I knew wouldn't have been a good idea, but I, I was, uh, I, I had tunnel vision. I really wanted to, to get my own place, kind of get under my dad's, you know, my dad's shadow and, uh, I want to do something on my own. So I agreed to do it and, you know, it really, really blew up. It was phenomenal. You know, like opening night, we had a bunch of, uh, Shelton brothers stuff on Canteon opening night, which. I don't think it was ever on tap in Buffalo at that point. And the line was literally down a block and a half to get in. And, and it was a great place for five years. And, uh, unfortunately Kevin and I got in a fist fight in the middle of the bar one night and, uh, didn't work out well for Kevin. So, um, yeah, cause tell, so tell everybody, of, Mike, tell everybody how big you are. <laughs> I'm about six, five, three twenty. And you play best. So, yeah, you don't want to fight yeah. you. But so going no, back. He, so... He's, he was a football player at uh, the U. So he's, he's a tough kid. He's an all-state wrestler. And <laughs> so it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a mismatch at any. But was it? it was an unfortunate thing because, you know, doing the friendship. Just, and, let's stop for a minute and tell. Because you really do have this great, um, you know, background in, in learning about bars and restaurants. So you're saying that just because you're in the industry – and seeing what people were buying, you were able to, to pick up on the trend, but you also fell in love with it too. Yeah, just just the uh, it was like the pursuit, you know. Like I got addicted to pursuing, you know, like whatever they like call whales now or whatever, and just really trying to get those top kegs on, and you know what, you know the top fifty in beer advocate or rate beer. How can I, you know, 
I want to get as many of those as I can, you know, for sale in the restaurant and just, uh, and I, and I'm a pretty competitive guy. And then, you know, and then once Blue Monk opened and we're kind of, uh, at the rate beer, you know, top bars in New York state. And then I was like, all right, I got to get to the top. And then, you know, for a while there it was basically like Blue Monk, you know, you know, it's basically rated on people come there and rate your bar. So they're like, it's not like some crazy, you know, algorithm or whatever, but it was like us and, uh, Blind Tiger and uh, Patrick's place, Metal and Hummer, always kind of like had you know kind of going at it. Who was the top bar? And it was kind of a cool thing to see a Buffalo bar competing with New York City bars. And then uh, Yep, I had to screw everything up and open Torst, and then we were we were toast at that point. But <laughs> well, I, well, let me tell, tell me more about Western New York because you know the, if the Sheldon brothers were there last year. That's when you met Mike. I mean, Todd, it sounded like, wow, Buffalo really is a special place. I mean, I know like Oaks Wineries there, Steampunk Cider. I know uh, Ethan Community Beer Works. Mm-hmm. You, you had Southern Tier for a while. Um, it, it sounds like it's a big enough region to really have its own thriving scene, right? Yeah, the, the Blue Monk, I truly think, changed the, uh, the craft beer scene forever in Buffalo. Um, there was nothing like that. You know, there's a guy, Dan Syracuse, who I think kind of started everything in Buffalo. He had a, a place called Pizza Plant. And he, even when I was a kid, when I was like 12 or something, I, I remember going in there with my mom and get calzones. And he always had kind of beer. I remember seeing all the, you know, the beer stuff there. And, but there wasn't, there wasn't a lot around. And then what, it's a drinking town. You know, it's blue collar. It's, uh, you know, long winters typically shitty sports team so there's not much people like to go out and eat and drink and it's a you know it's a real friendly city it's you know people associate new york with you know new york city and you know buffalo is more of a midwestern town we're right on the canadian border so um we got a little of that canadian friendliness to us and uh you know we get a bad rap because of losing super bowls and blizzards and whatnot but People that come to Buffalo for the first time, like, you know, I, Todd loved it. And it was, I know when they first announced the, the Shelton Fest, it was hysterical reading the, the comments of people reacting to the choice of Buffalo. And then, you know, a lot of those people came to Buffalo and realized it's a lot better than you know, whatever people, you know, their preconceived notions were. Well, I'll tell you this. Most people probably don't remember that the Buffalo Bills lost four Super Bowls because I, I didn't even think about it till you mentioned it. But let's get Ale on. So, Ale, you've never been to Buffalo. So what, what, why don't you ask Mike a couple questions about Buffalo? Well, I've been through Buffalo, and my roommate at Cornell was from Buffalo, but I had not a chance to really kick it there, especially during the diversioning beer scene uh, uh, starting from way back. So I, I might as well say I haven't been there. So you're, you're probably correct there, Jimmy. Uh, I'm wide open. I'm ready to kick it. I would love to see what's going on, and I will cheat on my diet to see what the best wings are. But I know Buffalo is a lot more than just wings, as what my roommate uh, told me years ago, that there's other great food uh, there. And now, great beer, thanks to you. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Time. You know, Southern Tier kind of, they're not in Buffalo. They're, you know, an hour, you know, an hour and a quarter away. Yeah, but they kind of were the first place to um, 
to kind of put the area on the map. And then Community Beer Works opened up. Uh, Rudy Watkins, my my current brewer at uh, at Thin Man, started off as the head brewer of Community Beer Works, and they they were like the second uh, local brewery since you know Prohibition times. There were there were a ton of them here. Mm, uh, mm. And then Flying Bison was the first one to really open up in the city, and that was like probably just around 2000, if I can remember correctly. And they were hit for a long time. Now, now we're pushing probably in the Buffalo and Western New York area, we're probably pushing like 35 breweries. And uh, you know, Big Ditch is uh, probably the biggest brewery right now. Hayburner is their their beer is probably the number one craft beer in West New York. Um, where I kind of, I don't have really any brewing knowledge at all. So I just try to take advantage of my contacts for through years of buying a lot of beer for, for my bars in Buffalo. So, uh, you know, my thing was like, I wanted to name beers and set up collaborations. So that was what I wanted to do. That's um, good. Hey Mike, who have you learned a lot from? You, you mentioned, uh, Couple guys that you've traveled with. Uh, well, we, where I learned a lot was uh, Daniel Lanigan from Lord Hobo. Uh, he set up this publican uh, forum for a while. Uh, we did the first one was in first one was in New York, and then he did Boston, and then Baltimore, and he basically through via the Sheltons invited. Who, you know, he basically asked the Sheltons who he, who he should bring to the table. So I was invited for the first time, and then uh, and just listened to like there was Alec Lopez from Armsby was a great guy to meet. Daniel Daniel's really you know extremely intelligent guy, driven and really knows his stuff. So he was he introduced me to a lot a lot of people. Daniel uh, Patrick Dunniger is a very close friend. Polly Watts down in um, uh, in New Orleans, became a very good friend through this. And, uh, you know, it's just getting to meet all these people, you know, people I really looked up to. Like the uh, one of my favorite bars when I first started getting this was the Map Room in Chicago. And then I got to meet the owners at the Map Room at one of these conferences. And it was, uh, it was really cool just to be mentioned in the same breath with these people I really looked up to. And, uh, you know, and kind of getting Buffalo to bring that first world-class beer bar to buffalo and put us on the map was a really cool thing so you really feel that by being in the industry restaurant bar owner do you feel like you have had an edge when it came to opening thin man brewery i, I certainly think i had the edge in knowing what sells you know so it's uh you know certain ipas you know sell better than other certain styles but you know back then you know it's kind of before the the haze craze um, that obviously changed everything, but uh, and just being a, an owner, I just uh, I got to know became so many good friends with you know guys like Pat Fondler, which you which you mentioned the rep and Yvonne, who's a Buffalo guy, and Joe Turco, and uh, you know just a lot of these reps that I see on a regular basis, and I just I fell in love with the scene, and I fell in love with uh, hanging out with these guys, and there's just you know there's so much personality in this in this industry and that's that's what i love the camaraderie and it's it's competitive but the you know everyone still helps each other and i just thought it was the coolest thing and i just said hey beers here we go beers my life so 
But I think when the Shelton, I did it. the Shelton Brothers, the festival was in Buffalo last year. I think you must have been a, a big part of hosting everyone, and it's one event I wish I had gone to. I thought it, it, I thought Buffalo shined for that. You know, and it's, uh, they found this uh, an old train station that was, you know, it's kind of beat up now, but it's a beautiful building, and uh, and I thought, you know, the weather was great from what I remember, and I think people really enjoyed Buffalo, and you know, just to, I remember. You know, there's this bar that everybody had to go called the Old Pink. It's like a classic dive bar. It's, to me, it's my favorite bar in the world. And you know, I just remember being there like 3.30 in the morning and eating a – they have like – they're known for the steak sandwich. And just sitting there drinking with uh, Yvonne DeBetz and uh, Tom Peters and Todd was there and just Alec Lopez and just having all these people in my hometown and – to me, that was like the greatest weekend ever. You know, it's just showing that you got uh, Cantillon, uh, Jean Van Roy coming in, drinking in Thin Man. It's like, how, how amazing. It doesn't get any better than that, you know. So it's <laughs> great showcase for Buffalo. And, you know, and I always mess with Christian and uh, Dan about having it in Buffalo. And, uh, you know, I never, I truly never thought it would actually come here. And then wow. Christian called me. I was in New York for craft for New York City Beer Week, and he told me, "Where if you can find a spot with you know the, the needed square footage, that uh, they'll come to Buffalo." So I immediately hopped on it and got some people involved, and end up working out great. That's great, Mike. I'll tell you what's nice is listening to you is you're on a first name basis with so many of these people that we all look up to. Hey guys, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden, the truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. Check us out, heritageradionetwork.org. Become a member and support the station. So we're talking, uh, it's Buffalo and Atlanta show here. Ale Sharpton, uh, Todd from Good, what is it, man? Good, 
uh, good word brewing and pub. Good pub. word. So you got to tell us about that because we, we talked about you started at Brick Store Pub, and we were talking with Mike uh, about Buffalo. So tell us how you opened up Good Word and um, some of the things you've been doing. Yeah, so uh, we opened in uh, November twenty eighth of twenty seventeen. Uh, like I mentioned briefly earlier, we looked around the perimeter first, you know, for about I guess ten months or so. And one of my business partners, uh, Ryan Skinner, actually lived out here um, in the Duluth area, and he kept saying, "Hey, man, we should we should look out here." He was driving in from basically Suwannee to Decatur every day. And anybody who knows, uh, I know uh, Ill knows uh, traffic going into town is pretty bad. So he was driving that for five years. So I think any any way to get us to move out that way would be better for him. But anyway, I came out here for uh, for concert, uh, driving and crying, and there was like I don't know six or eight thousand people in this like little town green. And I don't know, I kind of fell in love with it. I convinced my wife to come out here. She was pregnant at the time. Uh, we've got three kids now. But she was pregnant with our third. And so it was kind of hard to get her to move from, you know, the cater area because it's like so community driven and stuff like that. But, you know, we I think we spent five Sundays in a row looking at houses out here and finally found one that, you know, we fell in love with. And, and it's been great. But uh, like Gail mentioned earlier, you know, this area is not quite, you know, a beer scene. And so for us, what we wanted was, you know, a city that really wanted us to be there. So like be in our corner because I think that's you know super important, especially when you're talking about a little small town. Um, and we found that in the city of Duluth, which was great. Um, but yeah, we just wanted to you know bring the things that I kind of learned from from Brickstore and what Ryan learned and what the Brickstore guys who are our partners uh, you know in the restaurant industry out here. And I think you know sometimes when I think about them, like you know Brew Pub was probably one of the hardest things to do because you have a restaurant where you have you know 40 staff members and you know 200 seats and then you have the brewery and then you have distribution so you, you basically learned on the fly how to run three businesses and then myself trying to learn how to do you know marketing with social media and stuff like that so it's kind of like learning a lot of new stuff and i touched on this earlier with the brewing like it's not an easy feat to you know, step into a brewery uh, with only homebrewer <laughs> experience. So that was probably my biggest challenge. And thankfully, I had great partners who were very patient with me. Um, but the brew days were long in the beginning. You know, we're talking 12, 16 hours. But, you know, Mike touched on this a little bit earlier, too. Like, you know, I'm 41. I'll be 41 in December. So I've been around longer than, you know, a lot of folks, even though Good Word is kind of new. And, you know, at this point, you know, we're going into our third year or entering the third year, I guess. Uh, I've had a chance to like befriend and, you know, even brew with some of my, you know, idols and stuff like that. And it's really, it's kind of weird because, you know, even though I worked in front of the house at Brick Store as a manager for a long time, and I'm, I, I would think I'm pretty great with people and I've spoken in front of audiences and I used to play in bands and stuff like that. I get nervous around people that I like look up to. And so, <laughs> that's been a challenge for me. Like sometimes like, you know, at Buffalo, I remember, um, these, this couple kept coming in line to try this quick sour we make called Anna fantastic, which Anna fantastic is actually, um, named after one of Prince's girlfriends from the eighties. Uh, I hashtagged Anna fantastic and she looked at it and, 
and start a whole conversation there, which is a whole other story. But uh, anyway, they kept coming in line drinking Anna Fantastic, and they brought over, you know, the man himself from Cantillon. And he, I'm like, please don't drink the Anna Fantastic. Try the lager or something like that. And he was like, that's ah, pretty good. It's pretty good. So I was excited to have that. And then we met uh, Stan Hieronymus, uh standing in line for uh, Die Tide Die, which is our Pilsner. And I'm pouring the beer at Sheldon, and he's like, I don't stand Hieronymus. And I'm like, I know who you are. Get out of this fucking line. Come, come say hello. And he's been to our pub, you know, two or three times before he ever saw me at Shelton Fest. And it was kind of, kind of surreal. Um, but I don't know. I guess you get used to it after a little while. But uh, Well, it's, it's cool that you're making it. Going back, you said the challenge of opening a brew pub. It's interesting. Like back in the 90s, there was this the chef in the West Coast named Wolfgang Puck. And every restaurant he opened, you may know, was gold. The only time he opened something that didn't work was a brew pub, and it's the only place he ever opened that closed. So I was wondering, what are the challenges of a brew pub? Because you think about food and restaurants, and like you said, also selling beer. Um, what were some challenges that you didn't expect that you had to overcome? Yeah, so you know, I looked at it initially as like a great benefit, because coming from a place like Brickstore, anybody who's been there knows that the beer list has always been pretty well balanced. Like you can find a, a Martin on the, the beer menu, you know, pretty much year round. And so I took that as like our, you know, fingerprint, our kind of blueprint of like, all right, this is the beer types that we need to have on. And right now I think we have 13 or so. We have like a, you know, an ESB, an English mild, uh, pale Mexican lager, a Pilsner, a Sh- uh, Schwartz beer, a rock beer. I've got Imperial Stoutless shit in there and a couple IPAs and pale ale. And, uh, you know, all these things that like, you know, I definitely try not to take for granted because, you know, a lot of breweries just couldn't make those kind of beers because you don't have that food drinking our food and beer drinking audience where those things kind of tie together. You know, a lot of times it's like, well, we're kind of we're going to be basically an IPA brewery and we're going to make a couple of sours and we'll make this like throwaway lager. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's it's great they can pull a lot of stuff off, but. I don't know. More times than not, there's less thought going to lager. But for us, you know, we we have the advantage of like it can it'll sell in the brew pub. And that part is great. (laughs) The part that's challenging is having, you know, 25 servers. You know, when we first had to shut down, we just flipped our menu. We had probably six thousand dollars worth of uh, food we just ordered um, and then closed on March, I guess, 16th or whatever it was. And basically just gave all of our food away to staff and, and started a, a soup kitchen for a little, little while so we didn't lose the food. So, man, I don't know. It's like like I was kind of saying, it's it's like opening <laughs> uh, two businesses. Well, I guess the other part, too, is this. This is one thing I always think about. Like the typical beer, the craft beer consumer has at least one strike against uh, a brew pub. And that is that they don't focus on beer alone. And so there's that. And then for us, again, the ITP that's inside the perimeter versus OTP, which is where we are outside the perimeter, there's another stigma. So I knew that when we opened Good Word, we'd have two stigmas against this uh, brew pub. And that is we're brew pub and we're OTP. So we've been trying to battle against those things for as long as we've been open. Um, But for us, just like at Brickstore, we want to make sure that the beer was great, the food was great. The wine was great. We have 
great cocktails and then ultimately the, the service is great. And so if all those things, and I think that they do for the most part, uh, sing together, it's pretty harmonious, but it's challenging. Luckily, <laughs> I don't have to do it alone. I've got a great business partner and an awesome chef and sous chef and general manager, you know. Todd, did you bring any, any of your heritage uh, to the food? It sounds like the food uh, must be a draw for people. You know, I did a little bit. So my grandmother, uh, she's passed away now. She was Puerto Rican, and she raised my brother and me. And so we grew up eating, you know, a lot of the typical food you would expect. And in the beginning, we hired the chef who was uh, um, Latino, um, and he was great. We thought in the beginning, and we had this sort of Mexican, Puerto Rican inspired menu, uh, but he left uh, unceremoniously, I'll put it like that. And we've shaved that menu since then, to be honest with you. That, the, the food in the beginning was probably the most difficult part. You know, we had this brewer who was great up until the point that he left, and then we had the chef who basically shit the bed like right away. And once he shit the bed, we were like, all right, what do we do now? And we had one of the best chefs in the Southeast. Uh, he worked at a, a place, um, yeah, what's it called? Um, shit, he was a sous chef there. Anyway, he worked for us for three months. Like, Wait, Todd, after you said that, did, yeah. after he did that, did you change the sheets or did you throw out the bed? <laughs> We threw out a whole bunch of a lot of that. We burned the house. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway. Hold on. Let, let me jump to Ale now. So, Ale, just mentioning that, I wanted to lead it to you. So, um, we know a lot about you cruising for a bruising. I've been following your Instagram. I know you also review cars. I saw a lot of Rolls Royce on your site. But um, the big news for me, um, so you've been doing a lot of uh, consulting. Uh, tell us what you're doing with New Belgium, just, just to get you in there. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Appreciate it. I've been enjoying these stories. But, yeah, New, New Belgium was really cool. And they reached out to me more than a year ago um, addressing what was going on um, with injustice and the racial climate and how to involve more minorities into the craft beer scene. Uh, so they reached out to me and asked me to consult them on that. And so I flew out there and I kind of wowed them with a whole different concept instead of telling them these different things that they need to do and having a bulleted list and stuff. Uh, I said, why don't we start by making a beer together? And they were like, what? I was like, yeah, we're going to do a beer. They're like, okay, that's possible. What beer would you make? And I'm already looking at, here's one of the best breweries and with a great story and everything else. But I noticed they never really had an imperial style, at least um, that was out there, out there. Uh, to my knowledge at the time. So I was like, yo, we're going to make an Imperial Stout. And I wanted to make it, I had the whole concept, I had the name, I had how much of a percentage the alcohol would be, the whole nine. Uh, and the name I had, I looked up and researched, and it was called Piano Keys and then uh, Ebony Ivory. So I kind of played on that, big 80s fan of music. So that whole thing was played in there. And uh, they said, why do you want to make a beer? I said, first of all, you're one of the best breweries in the country. And then secondly, um, what you all about, you know, sustainability and, and then having a female who's one of the founders of the brewery. And it's a great story, but also you guys never made Imperial Stout and I love making beer and beer will lubricate and, and wet the palates for discussion uh, and bring people together. And I guarantee that once we make this beer, you, th whoever will serve this beer, and I'm assuming it will be on draft first, but although I wanted it packaged, uh, would bring the most diverse crowds to wherever those beer spots were. And they said, okay. Uh, it was a chocolate vanilla stout, and um, even down to the ingredients were, were brought from Africa 
uh, which was really dope as well. So it was a phenomenal beer. Every place that we had it um, served, sold out that night. A lot of them were in um, Atlanta. So it was Brick Store, The Porter, Hop City, Argosy, all my favorite brew spots. And they all had them there. Uh, and then uh, they, they did it at Asheville. Then they also did it in Fort Collins at their breweries. So it was, it was successful. We brought together some of the influencers and beer executives and people who were um, basically making a difference, who were minorities together. We had a forum. They flew them all out to Colorado. Then we had another one to follow up in Atlanta. So it was like an awesome forum. And uh, I just held a lot of great events. And so it went so well that now we are, I can happily announce packaging it uh, for a limited time, uh, which will be later on in this fall. And you definitely will know about it from my Instagram or whatever else, Real Ale Sharpton. And um, it's going to be packaged. I got to design the can. And since it's my baby, I really had a concept and it worked so well working alongside New Belgium that uh, it's taken a lot of my time. So, so beer can bring people together. We could have a beer summit with you, right? Oh, dude. Sit down, talk some issues. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Definitely, so let's go, let's go back to – so, Todd, what, uh, let's talk about the beers that put you on the map. What, or maybe Al can tell us. What's the one beer that, that I would go to Good Word for or that, that I might find uh, Good Word beer in another town? Just to you give us you- a little intro to you. You stole you stole my uh, my thunder there because I was going to ask Mike and <laughs> and Todd what Todd what beer would you give uh, when Jimmy comes down and I was going to ask Mike what beers he would give me because I'm IPA guy uh, Todd just made an amazing um, imperial stout uh, the hoof one Todd which was oh, fire man. and then your collaboration that you've done recently which you've been doing a lot of and I commend you for you did one with the Atlanta Beer Gang which is um, a group of brothers uh, black men. And um, they are uh, kind of beer aficionados, beer lovers, and Todd had invited them uh, to make a beer with them and actually came out really, really dope and the whole theme about uh, community. So can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit, Todd? But that would be maybe a beer to serve along with the other ones that are all solid. You make fantastic beer. Thank you very much. I'm actually drinking that beer right now. It's called We Are America, and it's aptly named uh, Volume 1. So that means there's going to be more. Uh, but yeah, so me and Ryan wanted to do something, you know, uh, the black is beautiful. It's a great initiative. And I asked the Atlanta beer gang if they wanted to do that. And they were like, well, we already did that with Scepter. So if we could do something different and they want to do a double IPA. And so we, uh, we brewed up this big hazy IPA and I thought it was great to use all American hops. So it's Citra, Amarillo, Mosaic, uh, and Simcoe. And it's quite delicious. Uh, and we donated uh, $2 from every four pack to the Food Justice Initiative. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely one of my favorite beers that we've made. Uh, I can say that Mosaic is kind of the cheat code for IPAs. Um, and all the, the other uh, hops I mentioned definitely are great as well. But I guess for us, it depends, Jimmy. If you were coming to Good Word, I would first want to know what you drink. And that takes me back to like how I approach tables and guests at Brick Store. I would never try to lead them down the road where, you know, I gravitate towards. And for the most part, I drink, you know, pale lagers and IPA for sure. Um, but I would say, what do you like? And if you say, oh, I like this or that, then I would take you down. The okay. Road. Let, let me ask you. So it's this season and I don't necessarily order Oktoberfest, but I, I do like fall beers. So I want something perhaps Amber or, or Martin, um, 
perhaps a lager. Oh yeah. Uh, so I've got our Meritson that will be ready in probably about a week and a half. We're gonna release it on September 26th. It's called Trinkzeit. Our uh, that's German for drink time. It's a 5.8% Meritson and super traditional. Um, it's closer to a spot than it is an Ienga, but it's pretty damn good. So I'd lead you that way. If you want a little more, you know, hot bite, not much more, but a touch more, I would say the uh, Bebop, which is our ESB. But yeah, I'm definitely a lager guy. You know, we've, and thanks to L, we've gotten a lot of love for, uh, for Never Sleep, which is probably one of our most popular IPAs. It's, I guess our house IPA. And then if we had a house lager, it'd be Die Tide Die. It's kind of an inside joke. It's a 5% uh, pale uh, pilsner. And then we got a little love for, uh, for our short spear called Scorch the Earth. Uh, last year in Paste Magazine, it was uh, ranked number one in the nation. So pretty not bad. Oh, man. Well, listen, I'm, I'm looking forward to coming down, Al. I'm long overdue. Al, what was your question for Mike? Hey, Mike, man, I'm an IPA guy. You know, I know there's hazies and all that that are popping, but really, what what is a great IPA that you would serve me as my first of many, I'm sure, when I'm coming over to check you out? The, uh, the We're IPA heavy, um, but uh, right, the one that we're known for most is uh, Trial by Wombat, which, mm. uh, which is kind of, I was a Game of Thrones fan, and... Uh, the trial by combat was a common right. theme in uh, in the show, so I was kind of messing around, and so I came up with the name Trial by Wombat, and so I kind of pushed it on the brewer. I'm like, I love this name. We got to brew a beer around this. So he grabbed a bunch of Australian hops, and uh, you know, I, I googled uh, Angry Wombat and found a great picture, and then uh, you know, people. It's probably known uh initially known for the um the can you know just people could see it and they either people either loved it or hated it but the the liquid is great and uh this past year we won uh the new york state brewers association we won the best uh, new england ipa in the state with uh with that beer so I, that would definitely be the one uh i would start you off with right now i'm drinking uh fiddle riddle which is uh I named after a song from uh, Frank Black, so I was like a big Pixies fan, so I took it from that. And then uh, just a Mosaic Heavy, beautiful IPA. So I might start you off with that if we still, it was a one-off, so hey, we're still I, here. I may, I may start you off with that one, though. You're right on point with that. I'm a Mosaic fan. Um, that, that, the Wombat sounds good, too. It's 7%. That's right up my alley. Uh, I'll send you a little mixed... Uh, a little care package down uh, down your way. All right, Todd, what's days. up? I'll link up with you, man. I'll bring a couple over. How's that sound? <laughs> we actually did a collab, too, uh, Mike and I, and the idea was to kind of mash up our two, quote-unquote, flagship IPAs, uh, Never Sleep and Travel Wombat. That's great. Hey, I want to ask a couple more questions. I'm going to jump. Mike, um, just, you know, long-time uh, family bar restaurant, uh, situation, a story from your childhood, be, being in your dad's place. It is one thing that stands up because my, my daughter also grew up. She grew up in uh, my old bar too. Well, childhood was like going there a lot on Friday, and then uh, sometimes it was good, sometimes it was bad. You know, 
somebody screwed up, then it was like we were on like pins and needles. And my dad would go a little nuts and stuff. But I think you know, going in there, just kind of hearing like uh, as when I was real little, like OJ was OJ Simpson was a regular. He was in there quite a bit, and uh, you know, and then my dad coming home and like uh, Patrick. Uh, the guy from Dallas was in there with the TV show. And it was, it was always kind of a cool thing. And then I played Little League football growing up. And then after the game, my dad would – I could bring like 10 friends. And then we'd, we'd sit around and uh, he'd, he'd drop like 100 wings for us. And we thought it was like the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> and we'd, just, we'd, we'd, we'd hold court and then everybody would come over and start talking to us, see how we'd done. And uh, that was just like the – I, I love, I'm a bar guy. I love, I, I think I'm more of a publican than a, a brewery owner. I, 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 I tried to brew beer. It just didn't do it for me, but I, I love the being part of a brewery, but I think in my heart, I'm still, I'm still a publican. Yeah. And so at, was, at Thin Man, how much of the, the brewery is, a, is a tasting room and an area for our customers? Uh, we actually, so we started off with a, a small little brewery, 15 barrel, brew pub with uh eight 15 barrel fermenters and then like a tap room attached um and then we quickly we kind of capped out around 21 2200 barrels per year out of that location and we couldn't can it was really tight and we finally found somebody that was willing to at least try to can there and it kind of worked out um my partner is a very successful uh developer in buffalo so he he found like an old abandoned building and then we opened a production brewery there. So that, uh, that really allowed us to start sending canning, sending beer out. Now we're, you know, we went from just self distro and now we're in nine States. We just had our fourth anniversary. So with, uh, we just got 200 or 250 barrel tanks in. And, uh, once we kind of get this, uh, 2021 we're, we're thinking we're going to come close to 20,000 barrels so it's it's a couple of years it's really taken off and it's a you know, exciting time to to be in this that's great and good luck to you and i'm sure you're inspiring some people i know patrick donner her an alewife sounds like he's following uh, your roadmap yeah pat and i kind of feed off each other you know like uh for a while it was like who could open more bars and then uh i think i beat him to the brewery but uh you know we've we've done uh we've done one beer together and and, and uh mike descarfino who you know from barrier um he signed up he's our head of sales now so he moved here right after the new year and uh so that opened a lot of you know his expertise and for being a sales guy for barrier really opened up a lot of things for us and and once New York City hopefully gets back running, I think his connection, his connections in the city should lead to us, you know, having a lot more placements. And uh, but things are trending in the right direction, and uh, you know, it's a really exciting time for us. We just uh, we op- during COVID we opened up uh, Virginia and DC, which none of us thought we thought it'd be okay, but they're blowing us away with their orders. Uh, we opened up Florida, which has been great, and. Um, we just uh, sent some beer out to uh, Colorado, and we're about to open up uh, in Massachusetts in the next couple of weeks. So it's, uh, you know, the future is looking pretty bright for us. So we're excited. That's great, Mike. It's it's so good to talk to you. And, and last thing, Todd, uh, just just wrap it up for us. Um, 
you know, you you guys are both doing interesting things. You know, Atlanta, Buffalo, it's like the the world is your oyster. And I know that you had a close uh, for COVID, um, Todd, but you guys really really bounced back. How do you feel that the rest of this year is going to be? I mean, you can only go up from here, right? You know, I don't want to get too political, but hopefully there's a different uh, person sitting behind that fucking desk uh, in the White House. But, um, you know, for us, sales are, you know, they're definitely down, but I feel good. I'm positive. Uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff happening. Our canning line is finally coming in about a week and a half. We've been doing uh, basically mobile canning, which has been uh, a challenge. So uh, things are things are fucking awesome. I'm feeling good. Honestly, All right. Yeah. And I'm going to wrap it up with Ale. So Ale, we, we, before the show, we were talking about years ago when uh, Obama was president, there had been a race incident in Cambridge, Mass. And he invited the, the Harvard professor and the Cambridge police officer to a beer summit in, uh, in the White House. And they, and they were drinking crappy beer. You, you remember what they drank. Um, <laughs> what, what did they drink? They drank like uh, it was it was Samuel Adams Light, if I believe correct. It was definitely Samuel Adams, but I think it was Samuel Adams Light. Uh, and then um, they also had Bud Light, uh, which was the other one. And that, red, uh, I think the and the president drank Red Stripe. So what what would they drink now? Let, let's say you got any whoever the president is next year. There's a beer summit. Th- three friends getting together. And this is kind of random, but. What, what what would you have them drinking? Three three people from three different parts of the country. Oh, wow. Well, definitely something from Atlanta. And since Todd is on here, why not throw one of his new uh, beers from his can line, which would be an IPA, of course. Um, and then my buddies, Creature Comforts, uh, since now they're in L.A. Uh, soon and Atlanta, I mean Athens, they might get some love for sure. And then uh, the beer I'm making with New Belgium. Why not? It's going to be the... Uh, you know, it's called Piano Keys, and it'll be in a can, so it'll be able to be transported to wherever the hell they are, and they will definitely have a great conversation at 10% right there. And that and that professor who got arrested was Henry Louis Gates back in the <laughs> day. Thanks yeah, for we reminding me. That. that was a special <laughs> yeah. time, and I and that's, that's how long we've been doing this show. I remember talking about that, and back then I was like, well, the only thing I was disappointed about was that uh, President Obama, because he was – identified with Chicago that at the yeah. time he didn't, he didn't choose a Chicago craft beer. Um, yeah, that's the good ones too, man. Yeah. So we'll see. Maybe your beers will turn Colorado and Georgia towards, uh, some positive hope, but, um, I, I probably send a wombat too, by the way, I want to try that. So I see the can no, is crazy. So I, I hear you. It's I can't coming your that. way soon. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I, yeah, I no. still speaking Obama. I still have the, uh, Oma gang, Obama gang, uh, handle that, from way back when, and and wasn't that were, were they allowed to to keep producing that or was that no they had of... to like cover it up but I like whatever they <laughs> they covered Obama but I peeled whatever they covered it up with and I I have it in a on display at Coles. Well, I'll tell you, this is a great show. I want to thank you guys. Thank your PR person, Tori Allen, for helping to put this together. There's quite a lot of uh, beer wisdom on, on this call. And I just want to appreciate it. Uh, Mike Schatzel, Todd DiMatteo, and Al Sharpton, thanks for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. Big Thank shout you. out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, and head engineer, Matt Patterson. I'm Jimmy Carboni. We'll catch you guys next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, guys. Woo!
Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.